Pump up the volume on your parenting with Parent Pump Radio. Tune into something different that makes a difference. At Parent Pump Radio, instead of a ripple, we choose to create a splash. Get energized, get inspired, and get informed with how to parent in the new millennium. With your host and parent coach super guide, Jacqueline T.D. Wynn. Hi, this is Jacqueline T.D. Wynn. We're here to pump up your parenting skills, pump up your knowledge, and pump up your energy. Welcome to Parent Pump Radio. Our effort is to get our show's information messages out to more people. So please do me a big favor, share our posts, tag your friends, anyone that you would think enjoy the information that we're offering. So imagine not having to yell, nag, punish your children to get them to do something. Imagine what it would be like to walk into a room where you have the skills to effectively communicate in a way where people are engaged. Well, this can be a reality. You can dive into my online three-month Harmonious Family Blueprint program. Email us at info at with your contact information so we can schedule an interview time. And as always, if you're looking for a quick read that will get you started, buy my Amazon number one best-selling book called Amazing Itty Bitty Book on Family Leadership, 15 Simple Tips Successful Companies Use That Families Can Implement at Home. The link to purchase the book is in the show notes. And we're always looking for guests on our Teen to Parent Talk series. So if you know of young adult between the age of 18 and 25 who like to share their story, their journey, or insights, please contact us at parentpumpradio at gmail.com. Today's episode is something that I'm really passionate about also because I have a young son and raising a son who's going to listen is very important to me because I know I've been in relationships that the men in my life don't listen. And our guest today is a positive psychologist who coaches parents to be more present laugh more, play more. He helps parents raise kick-ass kids and with his book. It's called Laugh More, Yell Less, Hallelujah. And he also has an online course called Harness Your Superpowers. His workshop is titled How to Raise a Man Who Listens. He is a proud father of two kick-ass kids whom he raised with his wife of over 25 years. As a feminist, he sees a vital role for parents in response to the Me Too movement. And the shift is taking place with power dynamics in the workplace, politics, and intimate relationship. Women and girls, hallelujah, will drive this change. And he believes that parents can help raise more men who listen. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Robert Zitlin. How are you, Robert? I'm great, Jackie. How are you? Uh, I'm wonderful. And I love that we're talking about this because I think the men in our lives and in our community are just as important in helping this movement. I totally agree. And that's, and that's not to overlook the many who already are, are already putting their shoulders to the wheel. And there are plenty of examples of men who do listen. Yeah. And, and you know, there are men who don't even realize that they weren't listening. So for all of those who thought that they were, <laughs> I think they're learning a whole new tool of what they're missing. That's a great point. I think it's a, it's a time of awakening for many and unfortunately not, not for some. And I think that's part of the challenge is I think there's something to be learned here, but the challenge is how do we spread that awakening? And I love that you are a positive psychologist. What is that? Sure. Um, so positive psychology is something that many people might not have heard of. It kind of makes sense. It doesn't just mean that I'm a positive person and I'm a psychologist. 
But positive psychology for me means I'm taking the research uh, in the, the study of happiness and thriving and applying it to people's lives. At my core, I'm an advocate for kids and taking that message and this knowledge and translating it to parents so they can create families and cultures that can laugh more and yell less, for instance, is what it means to me to be a positive psychologist to take this amazing research on character strengths and happiness and thriving and apply it to people's lives. Yeah, I think we as society don't talk very much about positive things. We always point out all the negatives, right? All the tragedies and everything we've gone through and everybody has them. But we should be talking about how to overcome that. What can we do and what positive things we can do? And I think that's why I'm so glad that you're here. Yeah, I think it's really easy to get caught up in the negative. And there's, there's plenty of negative swirling around. But the flip side of that is there's also positive going on. There's, there's reasons for optimism. And I don't mean to just put on a happy face and, you know, smile therapy and, you know, sort of fake it till you make it. I don't mean that at all, actually. I, I think there's a natural... Uh, course of things where things are born, they grow, they they live, they maintain, and then they they d die. There's a natural progression of creation and destruction. And we may be living through a time that has a lot of sort of negativity and destruction going on, but that doesn't mean that's where we need to put our attention. As a positive psychologist and as someone who believes in the power of, of positive energy and the power of people, I think this is an opportunity for us to be really conscious about where we're putting our positive, creative energy and adding more of that to the world. Like you said, it's, it's about being conscious. And I always say it's about also being intentional because you can be aware of what you're doing, but sometimes people aren't putting out that intention. Like, what am I intending when I say these things? And I think that's also important. I totally agree. And I think there's something in intention that is also great if it's at the front of your mind but until it comes out of your mouth, until it turns into a hug, until it turns into a pat on the back, until it turns into putting pen to paper, creating something, adding something positive to the world, uh, even that intention is lovely, but not uh, making the difference that you could be making. Part of the mission that's growing from this is not just helping raise more men who listen, but also having the men who are listening and who do get it to speak up and yep. to be represented. Absolutely. So why do you think and believe that we need more men who listen? How is that important to the women? I think your point before is really well taken. I think there are a lot of men who thought they were listening or were trying to listen, call it intention again, but maybe not. Uh, a great example is, um, and maybe it's not listening per se, but a great example is sort of the balance of the responsibilities of taking care of the home. I saw a statistic that said basically 80% of women feel like they take care of the majority of responsibilities of taking care of a home, a family, et cetera. And I think speaking for myself and, and many men I know, I don't think we realize how imbalanced things are. Um, and that's a small example. You can extend it further to taking action as a feminist. You can extend it further to um, intimate relationships and how balanced they are and the power inherent in them. I think there's a lot of things that men might think that they're doing on a larger scale than, uh, than women are perceiving or than is actually happening. So one of my arguments for more men who listen is I think there are men who could be activated and really want to do the right thing, but listening skills is something that we, we, you know, we've never really been taught, not just men, women. I, I don't think it's something that was ever focused on in school. You and I came out into the helping, helping professions and we probably had to learn as professionals how to sort of put aside everything that we wanted to teach for a moment 
and actually be open to listening and learning what's coming at us from our client, what's coming at us from our kids, what's coming at us from our students. And so that listening muscle is just critical to grow. Yeah, I think we overuse the word communication and people think that communication is talking. When you and I, people in our industry, know that it's communication is more about listening in an intuitive level, not just listening to what the words are. It's really what's between the words and the body language and what's behind all of that that is real communication. Totally agree. And I think more and more we're running into professionals who are up-leveling their, their level of professionalism, what they offer, services, and they realize that it's all about listening. Teachers are realizing that it's not about yelling louder or getting points across or content, but it's actually turning the classroom around and actually hearing where their students are. How can any of us try to help someone else move from one place to another if we don't know where they're starting, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and as, as helping professionals, this is a, uh, I don't want to say it's a no-brainer because we both know plenty of therapists and plenty of people, psychologists that work with people that still don't <laughs> necessarily listen that well, still more about sort of, sharing, like you said, communicating without really understanding where the other person's starting from. I know we've thrown out the word feminist, and I think that word sometimes gets meant the wrong way when it comes to men. Men don't want to be feminists. So you're not saying that we're raising feminists as our boys, right? What are you really saying? Yeah, I think it's tricky. I think the word feminist and the label feminist has gone through a couple sort of generations, and it's currently... I think it's making a little bit of a comeback, but it's still in a kind of downtrend. I don't think men want to be seen as feminists. And I think there are a lot of men, and there are different versions of this, who see themselves holding those same principles. When I say feminist, when I call myself a feminist, I'm someone who's seeking equality across the board for genders, for, for race, for social class. Like There's a wealth of opportunity in sort of the human capital in our world that we're squandering. If kids are born on the wrong side of a city, if they're, if they're born- On a different uh, zip code, right? That's what we Zip code, yeah. A certain gender, a certain country, you know, we, we can't afford to be um, overlooking the contribution that they could make. In the book, I make an argument that I'm really speaking from the future. The future is gonna need all of these kids to maximize their potential if we're gonna solve these problems. When I say I'm a feminist, where I'm coming from is, is opening up opportunity and equality across the board because we have some big problems and we're going to need some, some big brains to solve them. And I honestly think that brain trust is in our kids and our responsibility is help them grow and maximize and, and exercise those skills. Yeah. And we need kids that get it, that get both sides, what the girls are saying, what their male counterpart are saying. Because I know when I was in a relationship and sometimes even with my, a lot of times with my parents, that's who you spend the most time in your life with when you're that age. And you hear this from teen, we're like, you just don't get it. You don't get it. And then as parents, we try to say, oh, I do get it. Let me tell you how you're wrong. And then we spend our time or sometimes even our partner, I found that, you know, being with relations I have in the past, they're not listening to what I'm saying. They're trying to convince me of what they believe. Right. It's that messed up version of communication you're referring to before. If most of us stopped or had a videotape of a moment, a conversation in our day, we would catch ourselves really waiting to be heard. We would catch ourselves half listening, half paying attention, but really just waiting our turn. Yep. And I think there's something about that that we need to explore, which is there's this imbalance. There's this feeling that no one is listening to us. Unfortunately, we're, we're meeting at the same crossroads, you know, a parent and a teenager, for instance, 
are both yelling at each other. They're kind of yelling over each other's shoulders instead of actually connecting in a way that if you could pause and, and you know, a referee would come in and blow the whistle and say, okay, let's start this again. One way to start it is why don't, just for a second, why don't we take turns, you know, and not turns talking, but actually turns listening. How about if the active person in this role is the person who's being quiet for a moment and listening and paying attention. And we've had these tools as professionals, we've had active listening and the ability to reflect back what someone else is saying, but it still feels awkward because we've been, we've grown up, we've been acculturated, we've been talked down to so much. And there's this sort of like defense mechanism, right? Defense mechanism, exactly. Where we feel like now I've been talked to a lot. Now I need to go talk at someone else. And so, you know, if we can turn that equation around and I, I think while men are waiting, watching women and girls make these huge moves, one skill that I would love to imbue in, the, in them so that they can get into the game would be this, this active listening, this ability to empathize, the ability to, to access their compassion, because I think that's a game changer for how they will relate, not just to women, but to everyone they're trying to do something with, move something forward, whether it's in business or politics or their homes. It's just like trying on clothes it doesn't have to fit, but you so try it on. So ask yourself, like, what if what my child is saying is true? Like, I yell too much. I don't spend time with them enough. What if that was true? Just for a second. That's an awesome, it's an awesome mindset to take. I mean, it's a what if. You, you open yourself up. If, you, if you're asked questions like what if or what might happen, then you're not locked into the sort of closed off, let me tell you. Behind let me tell you and yelling is fear. I mean, on some level, there's a concern. I'm worried about your safety. So I really need you to listen to these rules. I'm really worried that you're making a bad judgment or you're, you're not working hard enough. So let me tell you. But if we're honest with ourselves, nothing in our lives has changed because someone's yelled it at us. Yeah. Right? <laughs> or, yeah, or telling us what they think we should do. Right. I, I, I think if we're honest and we take a step back, the opportunity to change someone rarely begins with a lecture. And it always begins. And any time where we felt like something changed in us, like we reached a new mindset, it's because we either read something that connected with us or more specifically, someone touched our heart. Someone was sitting in front of us or across from us and they heard us and saw us. And when you felt heard and saw, you felt safe enough to actually venture out and try something new. It's a very hard, you know, it's logical, but it's counterintuitive. But it's the, the quest that I'm on is how can we make that happen more? What you're saying is it's about inspiration. We move is because we're inspired by something, someone's story, someone heard us and they're like, oh my gosh, you were really good at that. And you're like, wow, I, you're right, I am. I, I'm inspired to do more. And I think if parents ask that question, before they yell or say something, they say, how can I inspire my children to do this, to do their homework, right? Or whatever it is. To do their homework, to pick up their clothes, to be safe, to, to call in, to all the things that we as parents want to grow our kids to have this capacity, these skills. But coming back to your what if question, I think that's exactly it. If we can ask these open-ended questions, if we can just ask, we have in our mindset, we, we have this whole script written out of exactly what our kids are thinking in our mind, right? And they don't know but if you, better than us. They don't know it. And it's usually off course. And it's usually has more to do with what we felt when we were growing up or what we're feeling now. But if we were able to pause and just ask, 
to try out those things almost in a scientific way, you know, just sort of let go of how sure we are. There's one parenting saying that said, you know, be the first to say you're sorry and be the last one to know. It's so hard as parents, we feel so much pressure to know everything, but also we're knowing into our kids. We're knowing what they're saying, what they're thinking all the time. And if we paused, you know, starting about two or three, there's stuff going on inside our kids' heads that we actually don't know. Yeah. What if a father figure in their son's life isn't being the role model that you think would be the best? What should you do? There's two things here. One is, as a parent, things get fear and everything helps us view things in, in a very narrow way. You know, my kid is influenced by me and my wife or me and my spouse. And so there's a very narrow view. But if you think about it, if you actually took a step back, you could see that your kid's life is actually influenced by a range of people, not just their teacher, not just their coach, but their grandparent, their aunt, their uncle, their siblings. So there's actually a range of role models that they're getting. So when, when women come to me and say, listen, my, my husband doesn't get it. And, and I'm really worried about what that means for how my son will grow up. I know he'll be fine, but I'm afraid he'll have this persona and he'll be perceived as a jerk or, you know, there's a lot of fear that moms bring me about boys. So first of all, a father figure is a really important figure in your son's life, but there are other figures. And one thing you can do is kind of figure out ways to maximize or expose him more to those other figures that have maybe a little bit of an approach. And you're not pulling him away from his father and you're not diminishing the father's role, but just recognize there are a lot of different facets to how he is learning what it is to be a man. And I know some kids, they can seem to be bullies or jerks from people and not perceived in a positive way. So how can a parent help their children be perceived in a more positive light? I have a friend who realized he, he hadn't thought about parenting a lot. He kind of grew up in an old school family, but he looked around and he realized he had two young sons. And his, he, he decided his parenting goal for the next 20 years was not to raise two more a-holes. <laughs> he looked around and saw all the damage being done by all the men in the world, which unfortunately has kind of ramped up in the last couple of years. And that was his goal. That was his bottom line. I'm not going to add two more a-holes to the world. What can you do to help your son not be perceived that way? There's two things, two central things you can do. And it has to do with the art of listening. One is, who does he listen to? Like, who listens to him, first off? And who listens to you? For parents, we're, we're often doing this in an isolated silo. We're very busy. We run from one place to another to another. We impart some wisdom, usually in a high tone at our kid, and we move on to the next thing. But if we don't have a place to reflect on what we're doing and a place to actually get some optimism and a shoulder to cry on sometimes and an ability to ask a stupid question, then um, we're left with all that stuff swirling around in our head. So first, modeling for our kids that it's okay to find a community, uh, a friend, a small group that you can rely on. Because I'll say also, growing up as a boy and being a man, it's a very isolating thing. You're usually, there's a lot of pressures from society. They're saying, you should be left with your emotions. You should be able to handle it. You should be able to tamp it down and manage it. Yeah. They tell boys don't cry, but girls can cry. Exactly. Boys aren't supposed to cry. Boys aren't supposed to have any really emotions, positive emotions, even. I think it's really showing pride. There's a lot of risk in being vulnerable as a boy and as a man. So that's the other piece that I would suggest to parents is find ways that it's safe. You know, don't sit down and say, okay, we're going to be vulnerable now, but find ways that it's safe for your son to have 
some vulnerable moments. Find a space or a family game even that's practicing those skills because identifying your emotions as a man is something that we're never taught. Having your emotions, feeling free to have your emotions and feeling okay with being vulnerable are ways that you're going to get to the other side of your son, not only not being perceived as a jerk, but also making the connections with people that reinforce that's who he is. Yeah. Empathy and sympathy and compassion comes from the fact that people connect with you. And the only way they can connect with you is through your emotion. When you see them being vulnerable, they say one of the key thing that makes you connect to a speaker is their vulnerability. That's like a leader. And I think too many parents who have boys were taught that boys have to be stoic and they are not allowed to cry. But hey, God gave us crying. So there must be a reason why we're able to cry. And so I know like when I coach my clients and even my children, you know, like whatever time you feel like crying, as long as it's not a tantrum, like cry because that's, it's like nature's way of washing all the dirt that has accumulated. <laughs> but, but how many parents do we know, Jackie, who save their emotional difficulties for outside the sight of their kids, you know, hide it behind a curtain. What lesson is that teaching our kids? Basically, it's teaching our kids there needs to be a curtain and mom and dad never emote. They, they never feel bad. They never feel sad. So something bad happens on the news and the lesson is directly stowing away my emotions as a parent and directly addressing my kid and telling them what to do. Neither of those things is helping my kid. Yep. And I think that it's important. I mean, obviously, if his children are really young, I think maybe under six, they might not understand all of the emotions. But as they get older, I think it's important for them to see how not only that you cried, but how you worked your way through it. Maybe dad's sad because mom did something and he showed that emotion. But then the kids should see how they made up. What was the process of getting to the resolution? That's a great point. And I think there's plenty that we either hide away because we don't want to be vulnerable as parents, or it's the lesson that we were brought up with that, you know, parents aren't supposed to emote. They aren't supposed to show their kids. Or unfortunately, on the flip side are parents who are really having trouble handling their emotions and sort of play it out too much in front of their kids. And that's why that's important to have that best friend to talk to so you can like get some perspective on things before you're helping prepare your kid to be a grown-up in the world who can be vulnerable and emote and connect and inspire and show compassion. Because ultimately, that's what we're all going to need for this world. We need more kids to do that. And it's not just nice that, you know, I, I, you said in the bio that I have two kick-ass kids. Thank you. It's not just nice that I have kick-ass kids, but I think they're poised to do things to inspire and connect with other people and to up-level society, to, to help help some of the problems that our generations had trouble solving. The most important role we can play right now is as conscious parents figuring out how to raise the next generation of kick-ass kids. Yeah, because every generation is smarter and wiser than the next one. This generation is no different to that rule. I mean, we're seeing it from the shooting in Florida. These kids are rising. And at oh no other time, you've seen kids speak so eloquently with passion and compassion. And that strength you saw in there where you know this energy is totally different than any other energy from any other tragedy. It's amazing. I still haven't sorted it out. As much as the tragedy haunts me, the power of the voice of some of these kids, and it's continuing. And, you know, there's a power, like you said, and maturity in these kids that is 
uh, like nothing we've seen before. I mean, it's, it's been out there, but concentrate in this place. When you have a kid come to a microphone hours after his sister lost two of her best friends in a senseless shooting and speak so eloquently that you're ready to elect him to office. Yeah, I mean, you would. And I have to say, politicians, you better watch out because these kids are turning 18 this year, next year, and there's going to be major changes happening in the political world. <laughs> well, I mean, come back to the coming back to the Me Too movement and the sort of new, we'll, we'll call it a feminist wave, you know, that's that's happening. The the response to the way politics is running, that's inspiring so many women to choose to explore to run for office. That wave of women coming through are younger than past generations of people who have looked to run for office. Um, I'm in a local township where our school board turned over slightly, and there's a young teacher who's on board. And the other day, she posted something that was incredible. You know that she spoke up at a school board meeting—the kind of thing that would never happen before. But it needs to happen. These kids in in Florida are showing us how to do it, and they're an amazing guide. And I think that energy is something that's going to continue rolling. We've seen it over the last couple of years. I saw it when I went to the Women's March here in Philadelphia. There is a passion and a drive and a purpose growing. And like you said in the introduction, I, I think there's an important role that we play as parents and there's an important role that we play as men to support that movement, not just cheering it on and yay, go, but like actually taking an active role in figuring out how to listen, how to be part of the change that's happening as opposed to either on the sidelines or mildly resisting, which is fortunately where I think a lot of men find themselves. We have about five minutes left and I want to make sure we talk about your kick-ass book, Laugh More, Yell Less. Tell us about it and what can we do to laugh more and yell less? Sure. So laughing more and yell less is a, is a, a nice target. It's not something you can do, flip a switch and do right away. So that's why I gave seven ideas in this book for parents, making it very simple, kept it very short. I know we're from the same, the same school on that, writing, writing books that are long and wordy and yeah. philosophical or have, you know, you know, showing off our SAT T words is useless. You know, we have so many of those on our shelf that are sitting unread. So I wrote a short book like you did uh, with seven tips on how to raise kick-ass kids. And it really begins with how do you take a moment to pause and listen? How do you take a moment to add more play into your life? How do you find ways to be more mindful, even when you're so busy as a parent? And I understand that parenting is probably the, one of the hardest jobs in the world. So that's why I brought it down in very simple ways to give parents the tools they need to create a family culture that is more joyous and less fear-based and is capable of creating the platform on which our kids can launch into these uh, roles that they're destined to play anyway. You know, why not help them as opposed to sort of making them wait till they're 18 to figure it out? Yeah, there are times when I know I get this way and other parents and I don't act on it, but when you feel that you want to yell or you're so frustrated and you want to just get that out, right. what do you do instead? What yeah. would you suggest? I, I think there, there's, a, there's a trick here um, I want to say it's an easy trick. You just flip the switch and, you know, but it's, not, it's not easy. I think the trick here is actually accepting what we're feeling. I think parents have come to me and say, I'm crying all the time. I want to laugh more. You know, sometimes crying is, like you said, it's a natural response to what's going on. One of the things we do as parents, besides hiding our feelings behind the curtain, is beat ourselves up for feeling what they're, we're feeling. And if we can't start with 
some level of accepting that I am angry right now, that I am really sad right now. I don't need to like break down in front of my kids, but you also shouldn't hide it behind the curtain. But the, the path to laughing more is taking these small steps on that path, but not to deny the way that you're feeling in the moment because it's real. And being real, like you said, is the way to connect with another person. It's the way your kids aren't going to remember the brilliant words of wisdom that you said. They'll, they'll remember them, but they're not going to be inspired by them the way they will be when they connected with you on a real level. You know, when I remember my mom losing her mother, I remember these moments of her emotion breaking through this facade. Yelling or crying is a natural response to some things in our life. Laughing more is a great target. And I definitely have some tips in the book. I suggest you check them out. But don't deny what you're feeling and don't beat yourself up about it. We, we have too much of that. And it's not, giving, it's not helping you at all. And it's not giving your kids any kind of good lesson. So where can parents find more support? so they can be honest with what, what's really going on. This is a real challenge and uh, not really finding anything like that. I created and, and I'm hosting a Facebook community that I, that I would invite them to join. Reading my book is a great way, way to start to create a family that lasts more and yell less, but it's taking a step back, finding parents. I titled it Parents Like Us, Parents Like Us Facebook community, um, but finding other parents where you can be honest, where you can have a shoulder to cry on, where you can ask, what feels like a dumb question where you can be vulnerable about something that you feel like you messed up on, or you can brag about something that feels a little bit, you know, uncomfortable to give yourself some credit for. That's why we form this community. And it's, it's, it's important that we have more of these, but this is a place we can start. Yeah. And you also have a medium where you can write a forum. Yes. On medium, I have a number of articles. Um, I write actually the why about I form, why I formed the, the Facebook group. And I can share that, that piece with you. And if people read that, there's other links to other things I've written, including a recent piece about is manhood broken is how I titled it. And the whole question of this criticism, especially in the light of these school shootings, which are often young men, is this a problem with boyhood and what can we do about it? And uh, that piece is, uh, is on Medium. I'll be happy to send the link. You raise a really good point because I don't know of any shooters that are women. Have there been? I think historically, I, I heard someone say there was one, there was two. I mean, all the way back even to Lincoln, it was a man. There have definitely been shootings and there have been, let's just say in terms of school shootings, we're talking about young white men. And there's a phenomenon, and I don't think we totally understand it, but I think writing off boys and writing off that manhood is broken and toxic masculinity is the problem is not as useful as figuring out what we can do next. And that's what I'm proposing in not just the article I wrote, but in the workshops I'm planning for how to raise a man who listens. Yeah. And to sum it all up, I think what we talked about, about emotion, allowing the emotions to come out because they are natural, could be a link too. Because if you have all these suppressed emotion for 18 years, 16 years, 30 something years, it's got to come out somehow, some way. It does. All the information, Dr. Robert's email address is in the show notes, his phone number, website, Robert Zietlin, Z-E-I-T-L-I-N.com is there. He has a link to his book, the Facebook page, and also his medium. So they can just scroll down and get all your information. <laughs> I look forward to you checking it out, and I look forward to joining Parents Like Us. It's a great community, and we need more parents who, who get it. I absolutely. I'm going to go join it. Thank you so much, Dr. Robert. Thanks, Jackie. This is great. And thank you, listeners. Until next time, always be learning and always be growing. Have a great day.
Thank you so much for joining us today. Go to parentpumpradio.com and click on the pink box on the top of our homepage to listen to our new and archived shows. To be instantly notified of new episodes, subscribe to our RSS feed. The RSS feed button is located at the top of the page where all our shows are featured. And after listening to the show, go to parentpumpradio.com or our Facebook page to leave your comments, questions, and topic suggestions. And while you're at our website, sign up to receive a free gift. Until next time, have a wonderful week.